Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. I want you to take your Bible and go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 31. Isaiah, chapter 31. You know, last night we discovered that we can trust God. We can, we can uh, uh, have our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, as our Savior, and then as God's people. We can count on God being faithful to us. He keeps His Word. He cannot lie. And when God makes a promise, we know that that promise is true. But you know, life has a way of testing our faith, doesn't it? Uh, sometimes we say, well, I have faith. I believe in God and I trust Him. But then when the trial comes or the difficulty comes in our life, our trust can easily become misplaced. Sometimes we trust ourselves or sometimes we trust maybe something else to come through for us rather than God. And such is the case here in the book of Isaiah. I want to read just one verse in chapter 31, verse number one. And if you'll keep your Bible open here, we're going to look at a few verses in chapter 31, as well as chapter 30, as it all kind of deals with the nation of Israel at this particular time. So Isaiah 31, look at verse number one. The Bible says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they turn, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek they the Lord. Our trust is going to be challenged every day of our life. Each day, Satan is going to make sure that he brings a challenge to our faith. It might be in the form of a temptation. It might be in a form of some kind of a test. It might be some kind of a trial where the devil is going to test our faith. Charles Blondin became very famous on June 30th, 1859. Blondin was a tightrope walker, and uh, he had walked across a number of different uh, 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 things over his career of, of doing this kind of thing. And, and in 1859, he decided that he would attempt to cross on a tightrope the Niagara Gorge. The Niagara Falls up there between New York and Canada. Uh, he decided to string a rope across there and see if he could walk across that rope on that tightrope. That rope was 1,100 feet long. That's almost four football fields long. The rope was three and a quarter inches in diameter. It was 160 feet above the water below. Now, Blondin, on June 30th, 1859, did it successfully. He walked across the Niagara Falls on that tightrope. And he did it many times after that. In fact, the act got kind of old. People just assumed that he could do it, and they'd come and watch. And after a while, it got kind of, you know, routine. They knew he could do it. He had done it before. So he had to kind of spice it up a little bit. After a while, he decided he would walk across blindfolded. Then he did it in a gunny sack. Then he did it on stilts. One time, he took a chair with him. And halfway across that tightrope, he took that chair. And he balanced it on that rope on one leg and stood on the chair. 
One time, he took a little cook stove with him and actually fried an omelet on that tightrope halfway across. One time, he he took a wheelbarrow and he pushed that wheelbarrow across the tightrope. Now, that doesn't seem quite as difficult maybe as, as uh, balancing on a chair on a tightrope, but remember, a tightrope walker has to kind of balance with his arms or maybe a pole to keep his equilibrium. And, and when you're pushing a wheelbarrow, that would, that would be impossible. Your hands would have to be on that wheelbarrow. And he made it across uh, uh, that, that tightrope with that wheelbarrow. And, and of course, the people cheered, they clapped, they were amazed that he had done it. And, and Blondin looked at that crowd after he had successfully pushed that wheelbarrow across and he said, all right, you believe I can do that again? And they all cheered and they said, of course you can, of course you can, you've done it. He said, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? He didn't have any takers. They believed he could do it, but no one wanted to put their trust in Blondin to push them across. You know, isn't that kind of true of our faith sometimes? You know, we say, I have faith. I believe in God. I'm a Christian. I know the word of God is true. I go to church. But sometimes when the test comes and God says, all right, get in the wheelbarrow. Trust me. I know people that believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross. They believe that Jesus was buried and he rose again the third day. They believe that the gospel is true. They believe all those things, those facts in the word of God. But they themselves have never gotten into that wheelbarrow. And by faith trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Where is your faith? Where is your trust tonight? Isaiah chapter 30 and 31 record Israel's propensity to trust everything but God. Sennacherib, the king from a nearby country, is about to attack the nation of Israel. If you look at over at uh, chapter 30 and verse number 1, it gives us a little bit of a, a summary of this. Woe to the rebellious children, verse 1, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For his princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanes, they were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be in help nor profit, but a shame, and also a reproach. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish, from whence come the young and the old lion and the viper and the fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. You see, here were people that instead of trusting God as Sennacherib is about to attack them in a time of war, instead of looking to God, they looked to Egypt. And this was their pattern. 
The nation of Israel, if you study the Old Testament, time after time, they would trust God, but then when a difficulty would come, they would take their focus off of God and trust something else. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, when Baasha, king of Israel, attacks Asa, king of Judah, Asa seeks his help from Benadad, king of Syria. In, in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, when Ahaz is attacked by the Syrians, he seeks help from the king of Assyria. In 2 Kings 18, when the Assyrians attacked Israel, they looked to Egypt for help. And so Israel has this propensity, they have this pattern in their life that they, they believe in God, they say they trust in God, but when the attacks would come, they would look somewhere else. It's easy to trust and obey, for there's no other way until the threats are, depend, are demanding that we pay. So tonight, let's see four alarms that are sounding in this stern rebuke of Israel's misplaced trust. They had misplaced their trust. They had taken their trust off of God and placed it in somewhere else. First of all, we see a historical lesson. Back in chapter 31 and verse 1, God says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots. So now, now get, the, get the lay of the land here. This is Israel. These are God's people. And God has, has delivered them time after time after time in their journey uh, from, from Egypt into the promised land and so on. Well, now, as they're conquering these lands and so on, they've made some enemies. And Sennacherib is about to attack them, to try to overtake them. And in this moment, they look back to Egypt for their help. And God is saying, what are you doing? You're, you're going to go back to Egypt? You're, you're going you're gonna to trust in horses? You're going to trust in, in chariots? You're going to depend on Pharaoh to deliver you? One of my professors in college, he used to like to say, one thing we never learn from history is to learn from history. And I want you to see here a historical lesson. If you'll hold your place here and go back to Exodus chapter 14, because God is going to take them back on a little history lesson here. Exodus chapter 14. Look at verse number 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? Now remember the context here in Exodus 14 is Israel is enslaved by Egypt, by the Pharaoh. Many Bible scholars believe there were some three million Jews in Egypt at this time serving as a slave to Pharaoh. And they were, they were serving him, and he was making it very difficult for them to serve. And they were making these bricks, and, and as they would multiply, he would, he would take away their straw. And you remember the story how the Israelites said, we, we want out. We, 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 we've got to leave this place. And God comes to Moses, and he says, I want you to lead the people out. And so he does. Well, as they're leaving, Pharaoh, he's saying, wait a minute. We can't let these people go. 
We're, we're losing about 3 million people from the workforce here. We've got to stop them. And so look at verse number 6. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea. You remember how the Israelites, they're, they're leaving and the Egyptians, they get in their chariots, their horses, and they start pursuing after them and they come to the Red Sea. So now the Israelites have the Red Sea in front of them. They have the Egyptians behind them. They got mountains on both sides. And you remember now the people are saying, Moses, I think we made a mistake. <laughs> you know, what are we going to do now? Uh, we, 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 we can't get across this body of water. And, and the Egyptians are coming after us. We're going to get killed. Why, why did you suggest we leave? Why didn't we stay back there? And Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Look at verse 21 of chapter 14 of Exodus. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left and the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea even all Pharaoh's horses his chariots and his horsemen and it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretched out thy hand now over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. What an amazing story, isn't it? God defeated Egypt. He defeated the horses. He defeated the chariots. And now, years later, God's saying, you're going back to that? You're going to go now in trouble? You're going to trust in Pharaoh? You're going to trust in Egypt? You're going to trust in horses and chariots instead of me? Don't you remember what I did for you? What's your Egypt tonight? In what chariot are you riding? What's the name of your horse? You're counting on 
the Baptist church to get you to heaven? Is that your chariot? Is that how you're going to get to heaven someday? By being religious? By, by being a good person? God is saying, what are you thinking? Your religion can't save you. Your good works can't take you to heaven. Just because you're a, a kind person or a, a hard worker or, or, or you're honest with your neighbors, that isn't, that isn't going to get you to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saves us. What are you trusting tonight to get you to heaven? What is your chariot? What is your horse? Christian, we, we've seen God come through time and time and time again in our life. He has saved us. He protects us as we saw last night. He provides for us. His presence is real. His power is real. And yet time after time when the difficulties come, we go back to our chariot. We go back to our horse. And our, our trust becomes misplaced. And so God shows them a history lesson. And with it, he shows them a human liability. Why do we do this? Why, why do we have this propensity to trust ourselves or to trust in maybe the government or to trust in our education or maybe to trust in our own you know, talent and personality? Why do we do that? Well, look again at chapter 31 back in Isaiah. Go back there and look at verse 1 again. He says, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. You see, the reason that sometimes we go, we go back from God and our trust becomes misplaced is because we look around and we say, well, you know, God, you're only one person, but, but there's a lot of religions, and, and there's a lot of people that go to church, and, and there's a lot of people that have abilities and talents, and, and there's a lot of resources. There are many, and it appears that they're very strong. Sometimes we think I have resources in myself. Uh, we think, well, you know, uh, if God doesn't come through, if, if God doesn't provide, if, if God doesn't answer my prayers, I'll just have to make a way myself. I'll just have to depend upon my strength. I'll just have to depend upon my Egypt, my chariot, my Pharaoh, my horse, my skill, my friendships, my power, my money. Human liability. Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his own wickedness. How many people think, I have what I need. I don't need God. I don't need him in my life. I'm making money. I, 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 I can find happiness. I have friends, I have fame, I have all these things. I don't need the Lord. Oh, God says, put not your trust in princes, nor the, nor the sons of men, in whom there is no help. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, Proverbs 28, 26 says. 
In Jeremiah 17 and verse 5, thus saith the Lord, Cursed be man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. You see, trust in anything but God is a misplaced trust. It's a tarnished trust because it has a human liability. Look at verse number three in chapter 31. He says, now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses flesh and not spirit. Understand that, that men are mere men. You, you can look to men to help you. You can look to man-made religions. You can look to all these things the world offers you, but it's still just men. And you can look to powerful things in this world to bring success and happiness. But like a horse, it's simply flesh. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower falleth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. And all of this leads to a humiliating loss. When we trust ourselves, when we're depending on ourselves, when we're trusting our horse, our chariot, our Egypt, our Pharaoh, we're going to suffer a humiliating loss. Therefore, look at verse number three of Isaiah chapter 30. He says, therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. Look at verse number five in chapter 30. They were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be of help, nor profit, but a shame and a reproach. Look back in chapter 31. Look at the last part of verse uh, three. He says, the Lord shall stretch out his hand. Both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is helped shall fall down, and they shall all fall together. Friend, everything in this life, everything in this world is one day going to crumble. All of the riches, all of the power, all of the fame of this world is one day going to crumble. Only God is eternal. You may be loyal, you may be sincere, you may be zealous, but trusting in anything or anyone other than God is a tarnished trust. Why tonight will we not stop placing our trust in ourselves or some man-made thing and look to God? Years ago, I was preaching in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and the pastor of the church uh, seemed to have a lot of people on his prayer list that, that were really going through tough times. And it seemed like everybody we went to see that week and invited to church was just going through a difficult time. And uh, the pastor had a real heart for these people and just seemed to be able to find them or they found him, one or the other. And one day we were, we were driving and he said, Brother Gash, we're going to go see a man now by the name of Bob Alexander. And the pastor began to uh, talk a little bit about him, give me a little background to who we were about to see. Bob Alexander was a, a boxer. He was a professional boxer. And this was back in the 70s. And, and uh, Bob Alexander had fought 21 professional fights and was undefeated. In his 22nd fight, 
he fought a man by the name of Jerry Quarry. Now, if you're as old as me, you might remember that name. Jerry Quarry was never a title holder. He never reached all the way to the top. But Quarry fought men like like uh, Sonny Liston and, and, and Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali later. He, he fought those title holders. Well, this man, Bob Alexander, that we were about to see, had fought Jerry Quarry in his 22nd fight, and he lost. First time he had lost in his professional career. He not only lost the fight, he got beat up. He got injured. He got hurt so bad, he never fought again. When we walked into his house, a small little apartment, I remember we walked through that front door into a living area. There was nothing in the living room. Nothing. No chair, no couch, no lamp, nothing, just a bare room. We walked past a hallway where some bedrooms, I suppose, or bathroom was, and it didn't appear there was anything in that house. There were no pictures on the wall. There there was nothing. We got to the kitchen where Bob was, and he was sitting at at a small metal kitchen table. He was sitting on a folding chair, and there was one other chair next to that table. The only other thing in that kitchen was a refrigerator which later we discovered had nothing in it. Sitting on the table in front of Bob was a bottle of whiskey that had about maybe an eighth of that bottle of whiskey left. Bob was sitting there at that chair in a pair of blue jeans with no shoes or socks. He had on a very um, flimsy kind of white t-shirt without sleeves. This man probably didn't weigh 100 pounds. At one time, he had been a professional boxer, had fought the very best, but he had lost it all. His marriage, gone. His children, gone. Every possession in life, gone. His resources, zero. He had no money, no friends, Nothing. And he was sitting there at that table and he had called the pastor that morning and said, I'm going to drink the rest of my whiskey and kill myself. The pastor invited me to sit across the table from Bob as he stood there by the table and he said, Bob, this is a friend of mine and I'd like him to talk to you for a minute. Well, there was no sense really talking about much else than his soul. This man was ready to to exit life. Nothing good was going on in his life. It was over as far as he was concerned. There was nothing left to live for. He had lived for all of it. He had trusted in all of it, but it was all gone now. And so I opened my Bible and I began to talk to Bob. And I, I said, Bob, all of us are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I said, Pastor Blank is a sinner. I'm a sinner as an evangelist. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. We've all come short. There's none righteous, no, not one. No matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, no matter what position we have in life, the Bible declares that we're all under sin. 
And I said, Bob, do you understand this morning that you're a sinner? And when I asked him that question, he looked up at me and he, and he, and he doubled up his fists like this. And when he did, his fists appeared to be huge to me. I don't, I don't know, maybe it was just in my imagination thinking he might hit me with one of them, I don't know. But he doubled up those fists and maybe it was because all the other muscles had deteriorated and there really wasn't much left of this man, but he had fought in all those years and, and those fists, he, he doubled them up in front of his face like this and he just began to shake them. And then he brought him down. And he said, yes, I'm a sinner. And I said, Bob, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. What we earn for being a sinner is eternal separation from God. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. A death for all of eternity in a place called hell. I said, Bob, do you understand that because you're a sinner, that you're on your way to hell? Boy, those fists doubled up and he brought them up in front of me and began to shake them. And then he brought him down. He said, yes, I understand that. I said, but Bob, there's good news. The verse in Romans 6, 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus went to a cross. He died on that cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He conquered death so that you could have eternal life. I said, Bob, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for you? Boy, he brought those fists up and he began to shake. Then he brought them down. He said, yes. I said, Bob, God is offering you salvation as a gift. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it. None of us deserve it. But God says it's the gift of God. And that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I said, Bob, wouldn't you like to be saved? And he brought those fists up. And he began to tremble and shake those fists. And then the tears began to flow. And he brought those tables down to uh, those fists down to that table in front of him. And he looked at me and he said, All of my life I have fought my battles with these. He said, I need something bigger than these now. I need Jesus Christ. And Bob Alexander bowed his head and asked Jesus to save him. Friend, what are you getting through life with? But more importantly, what are you going to get to eternity with? These? Your knowledge? Your education? Your talents? Your money? You need something bigger than that. Because all of that is human liability. Christian, how are we getting through life? We've trusted Christ as our Savior, but now when it gets a little tough, when we need a prayer answered or we got a problem in our life, do we run back to Egypt? We run back to Pharaoh? We get back on our horse and we say, I'll, I'll conquer this myself. No, 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 no. 
We've got to come back to the Lord and put our trust in the Lord. We've got to look to a higher level. Look at chapter 30 and verse 7. For in that day, every man shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your own hands have made unto you for a sin. Then shall the Assyrians fall with the sword, not of a mighty man, and the sword not of a mean man shall devour him. But he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomfited. And he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his princess shall be afraid of the ensign, saith the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and his furnace in Jerusalem. God says, uh, you've got to look to something higher. You've got to look to the Lord for your deliverance. You've got to look for Him, uh, to Him for your help. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, God says in Psalm chapter 20. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Are you going to trust in chariots? Are you going to trust in horses? It's better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in men. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. God is the only one that can save you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And Christian, in times of trouble, in times of difficulty, we dare not trust the arm of our flesh. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abideth forever. Thou keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Why don't you leave your horse in the pew tonight? Why don't you put your horse back in the stable? Why don't you park your chariot tonight? Why don't you come out of Egypt and trust Christ as your Savior? Christian, why don't you stop struggling, trying to make ends meet and trying to figure out life? Why don't you put your trust in the Lord tonight for your deliverance? He's worthy of our trust because he's trustworthy.